Well, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Brian. Uh, I am the Outreach and Evangelism Pastor here at Maranatha, and I have the privilege of opening up God's Word with you all this morning. Uh, we're in the midst of a, a three-week mini-series entitled Go, and Bruce has done an incredible job exhorting us or encouraging us from Matthew 28, 19, and 20. So what I want to do really briefly here at the beginning is kind of just to review this exhortation that we have, and then we're going to make a shift to kind of a practical approach today. So if you guys have your Bibles, or if you're uh, using the Pew Bible, it's page 835. If you could turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, we're going to be looking at verses 19 and 20. So Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. From this passage, we've really had six main takeaways that Bruce has encouraged us with, right? That the scripture kind of points us towards. The first one is, is that the one with all authority has called us to go, right? The one with all authority has equipped us to go and the one with all authority goes with us as we go, right? And that was the point where we talked about, well, let's get going. And then the following week, last week, we talked about that God is the one that sends sustains, and ultimately saves us. And if you've been here over the course of the last two weeks sitting here, like right now, you should feel pretty pumped up when it comes to to going and sharing your faith, right? You should feel equipped. You should feel locker room moment. Like you've gotten the rah-rah speech and now we're like, okay, we're ready. Let's go. Let's do this thing, right? That's where we're sitting at here this morning. But I find that there's two types of people Uh, when it comes to just going and and getting going and getting doing. There's people that really love like practical instruction. And then there's another type of people that are just like wing it type people. So do we got any practical instructions, love directions? When I make a recipe, I'm following every step of that recipe. Is that you guys? So that's my wife, right? My wife and I are completely different in this area. Uh, I'll go and I'll make something and I'll just kind of throw spices in there. And, you know, sometimes it turns out great. Sometimes... I've had better recipes, right? Um, But what's funny is when I make something great, my wife will come to me and she'll say, hey, Brian, do you have the recipe for that soup that you made? And I'm like, oh, no, right? And then she's like, well, how are we gonna know to make it the same way? And I was like, well, we'll just try it again, right? But like if Heidi has a recipe and she's following it step by step, she absolutely kills it. All right, so there's a good track of people out there that, that want and desire that recipe, those steps, that, that next step for the initiative, right? And then there's people like me that typically just wing it. And this gets me into trouble all the time. Just two weeks ago, uh, I had a radiator leak, right? And they make this stuff called K-Stop, uh, which is this, uh, I don't know, like thick stuff that kind of can bind some places where leaks are. I don't know anything about cars, so I'm not gonna use proper terms. But it's this thick stuff that kind of ultimately seals uh, the, these valves or the things that go bad, right? And I go to my uh, radiator and I pop the, the, the coolant lid off and I just go ahead and pour it in and it comes out like really thin and then poof, super glob of thickness, right? Like, poof. and I'm like, man, I think I got a bad batch. So I turn it over and I read the back of it And do you know what it says? Shake well. Not just once, not just twice, but three times it tells you to shake it, right? 
So I'm like, man, is this stuff even going to work now? I have no idea. I didn't shake it up, right? So those two types of people, sometimes, right, just winging it can be bad too. So we want to make a little bit of a shift this morning. As you guys are pumped up, right, as you guys are excited, as you're ready to get going, right, we want to look at this practical approach to saying, what does this look like? What does it look like for us to get going? What does it look like to take that next steps, to put the boots on the grounds in our neighborhood, in our offices, with our families, uh, in our ball club teams, and all these things? What does it look like with these next steps? Well, thank the Lord, he has actually given us a really cool picture of what that initial investment into the lives of people for the sake of the gospel looks like. And we find that actually in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So today we're going to be spending the bulk of our time there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you guys have your pew Bibles, you can turn to page 986. So it's 986. We're going to be 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, and we're going to pick up in verse 1. We'll give you a little bit of context to this book in particular, right? This, this book was written by Paul to the church of Thessalonica, and he's reminding the church about his genuineness and authenticity Right? And he's calling them to remember the early days of their relationship. He also, later on in the book, will reaffirm them about the coming resurrection of the saints and how that actually hasn't passed yet. But we get a unique opportunity in this letter right, to, to kind of peer into Paul's example of investing into the lives of others for the sake of the gospel. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. It says, for you know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel, so we speak." Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Though we could have made demands as apostles, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, how we worked day and night, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim the gospel of God. So this morning, what we want to find out is what practically can we see and take from this passage about getting going, right? Paul has given us an example to follow as he reminds the church of Thessalonica of his initial investment and what that initial investment looked like. We can, right, look into it, peer into it and say, okay, this is Paul's approach and intentionality to the church of Thessalonica. How can we model this approach and intentionality within our own lives? And we've got three application points we want to talk about this morning uh, from this passage. The first one is that we want to be bold in God. Bruce has hit on this a lot this week, and and we're going to kind of touch on it really quickly and and get to the the third point and really settle on that. But I want to look again at verse 1. He says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, he says, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much 
conflict. Why can we have boldness? Because God is ultimately the one who sustains us. He's the one who sends us. He's the one who saves, right? Bruce has really hit on these passages uh, over the course of the last two weeks. We can have boldness in God and what he has done through the finished work of Christ in and through our conversations with others as we look to point them towards the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Romans 1.16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we can have boldness because of what God has done and he is ultimately the one who saves. I also was thinking this, this past week about this and, and how, how sometimes we get our goals uh, kind of disoriented, right? Uh, have you guys ever heard of SMART goals? Uh, they're specific, measurable, attainable, uh, realistic, and timely, right? And you use this smart thing to configure goals that you can actually achieve. Well, when it comes to sharing the gospel, right, we got to think of what is our goal, right? Our ultimate goal that we can achieve is sharing the gospel, planting the seeds of the gospel into people's lives, watering the seeds of the gospel into people's life. But ultimately, God is the one who saves. We talked about that last week, right? We can go in boldness knowing that our goal ultimately is to proclaim the power of God unto salvation to anyone who would believe. So our goal in any of this is to simply share the gospel, right? To go and to proclaim the good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. This past week, we got to take a, a group of people from uh, Maranatha down to East Palestine. And this is the place where they had the train derailment a few weeks ago or a few months ago. And uh, we were looking to practically just encourage them, right? Uh, to kind of love on them, see how they were going, pray for them. But ultimately, our goal was to share the gospel with people, and we went around uh, two by two, uh, there was a couple of us and, and one of the ladies that, that I was getting to walk down the street with and, and engage in sharing the, the gospel with these people, uh, we would have conversations, right? And we would ask them how they're doing, how they've been affected by the different things that have been going on in that area. And then I'd start to ask them questions. Is there anything that we can pray for you for? And then tell them we're practically here to encourage them. And one of the things that we wanna encourage them with is the gospel. And then I would ask them, I'd say, have you heard the gospel? And almost nine out of 10 people would say, oh yeah, 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 I've heard the gospel, right? And it was funny because even if they told me yes, do you know what I was doing? I was gonna share the gospel with them. And I was talking with the lady that I was walking with and she was like, man, I've never thought of that before. Like, you know, when they tell you that they've heard the gospel, you just go ahead and share it anyways. And I'm like, well, that's ultimately the goal. And I recognize, right? It's the power of God on the salvation, right? And I have this call to be bold in my witness, bold in a loving manner where I'm declaring to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. We even had one lady who uh, told us she didn't want to talk to us, but then let us pray for her, right? And I'm like, well, if I'm gonna pray for you, I'm gonna share the gospel with you even in my prayer, right? Because that is my goal is to, to share the gospel. Um, and she ended up being really sweet and kind of came around. She was just a little taken back at first. Uh, I think she might've thought, you know, that we were from a different uh, religion. I don't know what she thought was going on, but I ended up being uh, really sweet. So we can be bold in our witness. That's point one, right? That we see from Paul and his example uh, within the church of Thessalonica. Second point, we wanna stay God-focused, right? This is really important and it's difficult to do. We wanna stay God-focused. Look at verse three. It says, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God, to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. 
Nor did we seek glory from the people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles. See, we have this tendency within our lives to often lose focus, right? We, we lose the focus of, of the goal that we have. And sometimes we'll even start to put the emphasis on ourselves and on the, the emphasis on people's thoughts rather than specifically keeping the focus on God. One of the remedies for this that I find within my own life is to consistently and regularly preach the gospel to myself, right? When I step back and I sit under the weight and glory of all that God has done through me, through his redemptive plan, through Jesus Christ, I can't help but overflow with things like praise and, and thankfulness and, and gratitude, right? And my heart, it kind of lines up and orients towards God to help me keep me, myself God-focused rather than me-focused, right? Or God-focused rather than man-focused. So we've talked about this a lot over the last couple of weeks. So we wanna be bold in our witness, that's one. Two, we wanna be God-focused ultimately. And three, this is where we're really gonna kind of hover today. We wanna be fully invested in the lives of the people we interact with. And this is where the, the rubber really hits the road. When we're talking about the practicality of next steps, if you're pumped up to get going, like the next steps of what does this really look like, we're gonna dive into that here, right? So verse seven, it says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very selves. Because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. For we work day and night that we may not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. I love this particular portion of scripture because it's, it's, it's really uh, imagery filled, right? It's, it's provoking. It's tugging on the hearts and, and the minds of, of the people of Thessalonica and even us today where, where Paul was reminding them of the, the deep affection and intentionality that he had, right? It's uh, provoking memories within their minds and, and really calling them to think about the way that he interacted with them and, and how he went about even engaging with them with the gospel. And I really wanna highlight five five things about the example of Paul here that, that we can really take and apply to our lives as we look to, to reach our neighbors, coworkers, friends, and family. The first one I wanna look at is gentle, right? Gentle. So this is a Greek word, nopios, or napos, or napios. I, I'm not very good at pronouncing Greek words, so forgive me. But uh, what I love about this Greek word in particular though is often, more often translated childlike which I thought was really interesting when you step back and think about gentle, because uh, if you have toddlers in the room, uh, there's nothing that feels gentle about them, right? Like uh, we have bruises and marks all around us that, that demonstrate that, that gentleness is not in their nature as far as like physicality is concerned. But he wasn't talking about right, their, their, their physical nature. What he was talking about was their, their inner nature, right? Their souls, their, their gentle spirit. Like think about a child and their interaction, right? Think about how so often when they walk up to people, they're warm and welcoming and inviting, right? My kids are kind of like two polar opposites. If you ever meet Malachi, uh, he's like the sweetest thing when it comes to interacting with people. He like, like at least pretends like he has manners. I don't know if he really has manners, but at least pretends. Uh, and he introduces himself, he says his name, and then he'll usually tell you a random fun fact about himself. So uh, more recently, he's been telling people, my name is Malachi and my eyes are blue, right? Like just very basic stuff in case you couldn't observe that. Um, but he'll go up and he'll talk to anybody. And even if he just met you, when he's leaving, he'll give you a hug, 
right? Like that's just his nature. Now, JC, she's a little more shy than nature, right? She's a little more reserved, but even her, she, if you're quick to play with her or open up to her, she's gonna engage with you, right? Like there's a spirit among children that they're, they're naturally open and inviting to people, right? Like they just love people. They love engaging with people, especially if you're ready to play with them. And I think that's the heart behind what Paul is ultimately telling us to, to have that, that childlike spirit within us, right? Where we're looking to love and engage these people, it reminds me actually of the passage when Jesus, uh, in one of the only places that he describes himself in all of the New Testament, in Matthew eleven twenty nine, he says, come to me all you who are weary, because he says, for I am gentle and lowly at heart. When you break that down, what he's ultimately saying is that he's humble, he's approachable, right? It's the same picture or imagery here, right? That, that he's gentle, he's humble, he's approachable. Like that's what we're called to do in our relationships with other, right? We're to be gentle, we're to be loving, we're to be intentional and engaging. So that's one thing that we can take away, right? To be, to be gentle, to be childlike within our spirit as we engage with people. The second thing we see is a nursing mother, this is an interesting one, and I was thinking about uh, all the things we don't know about Paul, but he chooses to use the example of a nursing mother. And I don't know if men using uh, the analogy of nursing mothers is really ever profitable, uh, but it is here because it's the word of God, right? Uh, so I say that, and this is the reason why, because my wife is currently, we have a six-week-old baby, right? My wife is currently breastfeeding, and despite my best efforts, I could never really empathize with her truly, right? Like breastfeeding is difficult. It's like all consuming, right? It's like this thing that affects you mentally, physically, emotionally, where you recognize that literally the, the dependence of life of that child is dependent on you and you're willing to sacrifice sleep. You're willing to sacrifice relationships, friendships, uh, food, all of these things, right? Like often one of the things that I, I try to do if I can is, is to cook breakfast uh, for my family. And what I find is that my kids, they'll be eating and I'll be eating and then at this stage in life, my wife's food just kind of sits there, right? Because she's built on or centered around the timeline of her children, right? And specifically the one that is breastfeeding. So oftentimes she'll have this hot plate sitting there and she won't get to eat it till it's cold. Why? Because that's when the baby was hungry. And when the baby was hungry, you feed them. And the reason that I go into this extensive analogy is because Paul is saying that type of intentional investment is the type of investment we make in the lives of others for the sake of the gospel, right? We are willing to put aside personal preferences, our own wants and desires for the sake of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? There's this recognition that in coming, like they don't necessarily have anything to offer like a baby, but, but we have everything to give, and I think that it's cool ultimately that, or if cool is the right word, awesome, uh, incredible that Paul uses this analogy here to demonstrate just the type of investment he was willing to make for the gospel for the people he's interacting with. And I think that's a call and a challenge within our lives. What type of investment are we making in the lives of our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, our family members for the sake of the gospel? Does it even resemble anything like uh, uh, the way a nursing mother would intentionally invest into her child? So that's two. A third one I want to highlight is affectionately desirous. This one is literally a single uh, unpronounceable Greek word here. Uh, and it's this picture of 
to long for, right? It's, it's uh, this picture of young love, right? To, be, to constantly be, be thinking about and, and yearning and longing for. Uh, and I think of this like when I first entered into a relationship with my wife, right? Like when I first entered into a relationship with my wife, and maybe I'm unique in this, but I just wanted to talk to her all the time. I wanted to be around her as much as I could. Like I just wanted to be there. Anybody else experienced that? Like young love, puppy love, they call it, right? That's the picture here, this, this yearning, this longing that is present here for them. Like we were weird uh, in ours and that sometimes uh, like we didn't want to hang up the phone at night. Did you guys have that? Like we like, you hang up? No, you hang up. Like we started to experience that and then we just chose not to hang up. Right, and we just stay on the phone all night long, and then not really talk. We'd just like sleep. We were, I told you we we're weird, right? We'd just sleep, and the phone would be going, and then like middle of the night, one of us might wake up and say, "Are you still there?" And she'd be like, "Yes," you know, kind of reluctantly, but also like excitingly. Like she was in Illinois, I was in Ohio for that summer, um, so you can take that and make fun of it all you want. But like that's the that's the picture here, right? Like. The picture is like that yearning, that longing for, right? And, and the same type of, not, you know, exact affection, but the type of affection that we have and desire that we have, you know, for that loved one is the type of affection, desire we should have. We should long for these relationships to grow and to prosper and to see the gospel rooted in their lives, right? We should seek and desire that. The last one uh, that, I, or the, the fourth one here that we want to look at is, uh, it says, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but our very selves. This is a Greek word, uh, suke, and it, 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 it's the very depths of ourselves, right? This is a very vulnerable and unique thing here. Like sharing one's life authentic, authentic, authentically. I can't even pronounce that word, I'm sorry. Authentically, there we go, we got it, all right? Um, authentically, sharing our lives authentically, right? This is sharing our souls in exhorting way. And there's a huge desire for this today. There's a huge desire for this today. People want to see that you are authentic, right? They want to see that, that, yes, like you have triumphed over some things, but you also struggle in other things. And you want to encourage and exhort people within that uh, in their day-to-day lives, right? People want to see that, especially millennials and, and Gen Z. When you look at some of the polls and data out there, what are the things that they're looking for? And friendships and rela- relationships, they're looking for authenticity, right? They're looking for genuineness, right? People who are willing to share their very selves with them. Christ actually gave us this example. And I think Philippians 2 points to this, verses three through eight. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is in yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross." Right, this is the gospel. This is the beauty of what Christ did, right? Christ being fully man and fully God in that moment, emptied himself, right? And put on the wants needs of others, ultimately through the redemption of humanity in how he 
gave his life and shedding of his blood, which we'll celebrate here later, for our sins. Right? This was literally him sharing his very self, like not only his, his, his soul, but his broken body on our behalf. And he has given us this example, right? To look, as Philippians says, not only to our own needs, but also to the needs of others and consider them more significant than ourselves. I think it's important as we think about and recognize the importance of what we're talking about today, we also recognize the difficulty of what we're talking about today. When we talk about investing into the lives of others around us in a a real and genuine and intentional way, it's not something that is easy, right? It takes sacrifice, it takes investment, it takes intentional energy, it takes putting away some of the wants, needs, and desires of yourself, right? And what better example to look to for that than Christ? If you're sitting here today and you don't know Christ and you've never entered into that relationship with him, probably the concept of this type of investment seems foreign to you. But I want to tell you about Christ who came 2,000 years ago on your behalf, right? When there was this barrier divide between you and Christ and he came to reconcile you to him. He came to literally sacrifice his body, right, for you in order to give you the opportunity to enter into a relationship with him. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Today, if you don't know Christ, we wanna give you an opportunity. you find myself after the service or, or one of the elders or someone on the stage, it doesn't matter who it is, if you're saying, man, this, this type of investment that you're talking about making, that's foreign to me, right? And, and this, this investment that Christ made to me, man, I, I wanna learn more about that. I wanna grow in my understanding of that. Come have a conversation with us about that because we would love to talk to you about that, All right? Because ultimately this is the example of love, right? The example of love that Christ laid down his life for us. And it's our love that should propel us, that should call us, that should move us to investing into the lives of others. This past week, I was actually reading a book, or I guess it was last week, about uh, Before You Share Your Faith, this book is called. And the author was talking about specifically how he was getting ready to write a chapter on fear. It was chapter three. And he was gonna write the chapter on fear and how we're fearful to share our faith and how we struggle to share our faith because we're fearful. And he felt like he had overwhelming conviction in that moment because the Lord says, you're not fearful. You just don't love in the way that I love. You don't have the heart that I have. Because if you truly loved people and saw people the way that I saw people, you'd be living out intentionally and engaging with the gospel every day of your life. And that really hit me too, right? Because I often say, I've even done an ABF tour here and talked about how fear and inadequacy are two of the main reasons that we don't share our faith. But man, when he you know, wrote those words, I was like, man, that, that makes so much sense. And then you step back and we think about the fear of perception and the fear of, of judgment and all the things that, that kind of keep us from that. Well, what casts out fear? Love, right? Perfect love casts out fear. When we genuinely and truly love people in the way that Christ loved people, willing to sacrifice our very selves for them, right? Fear goes out the window because we want to love them and engage with them with something as glorious as the good news of Jesus Christ. The fifth thing that we want to look at is the labor and toil that Paul had. He specifically uses those words, labor and toil, 
I love this here, right? Because uh, when we think of, of our lives today, we wanna make them as easy as, as possible. This past uh, two weeks ago, uh, I needed to kind of clean up the flower beds. We bought a house a few months ago and, and uh, I was like, I wanna clean up these flower beds and we wanna make them look nice. But I'm like, also in making them look nice, how can I create as minimal as work for myself in the future. Anybody else like that? Like when we set this up, this ain't something I want to do every year, right? The labor and toil that goes into that, like let's just kind of throw that to the side. Let's get it done. So we invested in putting some rocks down, right? I got the heavy quality 25 year warranty paper. And if something pokes up in those 25 years, you bet I'm calling them, right? Like I'm going to get my warranty on that and say, come on out, have some guys clean it up and put some new paper down. Uh, But I want to do as minimal work as possible with it. I just kind of want it to be, right? And we have that tendency as we fade into our comfort zones that we want to make things kind of easy and comfortable within our lives. But the example that Paul's putting forth here is one of labor and toil, right? He's using this imagery of how they worked, how they grinded, man, how day in and day out they were putting forth this effort, investing into their lives and, and, and sharing the gospel and engaging with people, you know, to share the gospel. And I love that imagery. I love that picture that's put forth for us there. So we can see that, that, that one of the things as we've been challenged and encouraged over the past few weeks to go, right? One of the things that we need to do is just make intentional and consistent investments into the lives of the people around us. So say, okay, what does that look like, right? You said this was gonna be super practical. All you've done is told me more about how I'm supposed to interact with people. Well, uh, I'm gonna share with you five quick examples of ways that you can start investing into uh, your neighbors today. Uh, the first one that I wanna talk about is the double invite. All right, this is the double invite. We have invite cards that sit out here at the uh, welcome centers that you can grab for yourself. Uh, The double invite is where you invite somebody to a church engagement, but you also invite them over to your house or out to eat, right? Where we're saying, hey, you should come check out this thing with me, but afterwards you should come out and you should let me buy you lunch, right? I'm making this investment into their lives, right? This investment that's sacrificial, that's intentional within their lives, so that's something that, that, that we often you know, look to do within our lives regularly. If we're gonna invite someone to church, we try to follow up with a secondary invite to that. We'll say, hey, would you wanna come over to our house and have our kids play together and we'll make a soup or we'll make something, right? But a double invite is something that I would encourage you guys as a practical step, right? You wanna get going, you wanna see what this looks like. Consider a double invite, right? Whether that's a neighbor, a coworker, a friend, a family member, uh, just engage with them in this way. There's actually a really cool story about this. Uh, there was a couple from our church that invited uh, uh, an individual that worked uh, with him to our Easter service, right? And I think this individual uh, was uh, uh, maybe Hindu descent. I'm not 100% sure, but he and his wife ended up coming to our Easter service, right? And they sat and they got to hear the gospel and everything fully laid out. Uh, But then that couple invited them over to their house on Easter Sunday, right? And then spent the next seven hours conversing with them, talking about their religion, the gospel, Christ, all of these things. And I say that not to necessarily pat them on the back, but to demonstrate the type of investment that we're talking about, right? Easter is one of those days that's kind of like sacred to us. Like we're talking about guarding our days when holidays in particular, we're really quick to guard and say, that's only for friends and family members, right? But that's the type of investment that we wanna see made, the type of investment that that we're carrying out for the sake of the gospel and, and following through in Christ's example. So that's one practical idea. A second one, 
Uh, this one is near and dear to my heart, foster care, okay? Uh, I'm a big advocate for foster care. Part of the reason I bring this up is because it is actually Foster Care Awareness Month right now. I don't know if you guys know that, uh, but specifically, uh, Summit County has been in foster care crisis for quite a while, needing more foster care families, uh, but also needing more support for foster care for, care families. We're actually getting ready to look at launching a couple different foster care ministry and initiatives here at Maranatha. And there's practical ways that you can be, uh, you know, a part of that and investing into the lives of others. For us, we wanted to be a representation of the gospel to the people that we would interact with, not just to our children, but to, or our foster children, but to the parents of those that, that we were going to be engaging with. And one of the really cool stories, uh, we get to adopt our little girl, Jacy uh, when she was about a year and a half old. But uh, in Virginia, Adoptions are technically closed adoptions. And you have the right to choose whether you want to have interactions with the family members or not have interactions with the family members. And we said, well, what are we in this for? Are we in this for ourselves, for our comfort, for the ease of our lives? Are we in this you know, for the children and, and, and ultimately for uh, the gospel and for, for glorifying God? So we left it open, right? And we had a regular and consistent relationship uh, with uh, JC's biological mom and still have a regular and consistent relationship with her mom where we even uh, you know, sent her some videos and FaceTimed her when JC had her graduation up here from Maranatha Preschool just a few days ago. But the reason that I share this story is specifically over the course of the, the, the couple years that we got to spend with her and then eventually her boyfriend, uh, what we ultimately got to see happen was Niaja or their mom reorient her life back to Christ. And then uh, one of the cool things right before we got to move, we actually got to see uh, her mom's boyfriend uh, make a profession of faith for Christ, right? And that's awesome and incredible. And God was moving and working in his heart and lives, uh, in, you know, other lives were, were touching him as well. But it's that type of intentional investment. And I don't share that story to, to, to pat ourselves on the back. It's more to give you practical ideas of investment of, of where the rubber meets the road, right? Like one of the purest form of religion that says is taking care of orphans and widows. And, and here's an opportunity you can step in and invest and get messy in the lives of the people that are around us uh, that you don't even recognize are probably in some of your neighborhoods. So that's another example. Foster care is a great place to start um, if you're interested in something like that. Another one, practical step for you. This is our new movers outreach, right? So we wanna practically equip you guys to feel confident to go and engage and invest in with some of your neighbors, uh, friends, and coworkers. So as new people move into your neighborhood, uh, we've made up these cards that just say, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. Uh, come check out our church. But we also have partnered with a local pizza shop uh, that's giving us free pizzas for you to take to your neighbors as they move in. And if you're interested in doing this, you can uh, go on the website at uh, NBC95 and go to resources. And all you do is fill out a form with the address of where you want to take it. And it'll be right out here for you at the Welcome Center. And you can go meet your neighbors, right? Have something practical like a pizza and say, hey, I know your house is a mess. I know everything's crazy as you're moving in. We just want to welcome you to the neighborhood, begin to develop that relationship, begin to intentionally invest into their lives. One of the things that we like to do is, is we got to do this last week. Uh, we said, hey, if you need anything, we know, you know, like sometimes you're Rambling. Like if you need anything, let us know and, uh, you know, come down our way or, or give us a call. So that's another practical idea. The last one that I want to share with you guys is just investing where you are. This sounds, you know, really practical, uh, but like simply investing where you are, being intentional to, to plan time and make time to have those opportunities to invest. I'm a big fan of having people over uh, and being hospitable and investing into them that way. But what would that look like, right? For you to say, hey, you know what? We're gonna have a barbecue and we're gonna invite one of our neighbors that we're trying to reach for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we don't know if he's gonna be available this Friday. So we're just gonna block out the next four Fridays 
right? And we're gonna say, hey, are you available this Friday? He says, no, well, hey, maybe next Friday. That's actually what I did with my wife with our first date. Um, you guys may not know that. But we were supposed to go out and then she's like, oh, I had other plans. And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure you did. She doesn't like me, right? Um, kind of wandered back to my dorm. Uh, and then our school got canceled because it was voting day. And that day I was like, I went to her and I said, hey, what do you got going on Tuesday? She's like, oh, school and stuff. I said, oh, no, we're off school on Tuesday. <laughs> and I said, hey, me and some friends are going up to the Snowflex, So we're gonna go, uh, you know, skiing and the snowboard and do you wanna come? And she's like, yeah, that sounds like fun. So... I got back to my dorm, you know what I did? Told all my friends, we're going to ski in the snowflakes. I need you to come, right? I need you to come. <laughs> but we're talking about intentional investment or planning, right? To, to make those engagements with our friends and with our neighbors. So I want to give you guys a little bit of, of a practical encouragement with this, right? Uh, another example that I, that I found this week of a really cool story. Uh, this guy, Earl Palmer, he tells of a pre-grad med undergraduate at uh, Berkeley, he uh, became a Christian after a long journey through doubts and questions. But this is the story that I want you to hear. It says, about with the flu kept him out of classes for 10 days. But during that critical absence from his organic chemistry class, a Christian classmate carefully collected all his missed lectures and assignments. The person took from his own studies to help his friend catch up with the class. Years later, the pre-med student, now a committed Christian, told Parmore, you know that uh, what is done just isn't done. He says, I wouldn't even have done it. He says, but he gave me that help without any fanfare or complaints. And I wanted to know what made that friend of mine act the way that he did. And I found myself asking him if I could go to church with him. I thought it was such a cool story that he ultimately came to know Christ through that simple thing of intentional investment of taking notes for a classmate that is missing, right? Maybe that looks like uh, your neighbor raking the yard, right? And you just jump over and, and help out with it. Or uh, maybe that looks like uh, one of your coworkers is missing for a few days and you know they're just gonna be swamped when they get back. So you try to intentionally maybe take some of their work so that it's easier for them when they come back, right? But it's this intentional investment into the lives of the people around us for the sake of you know, having the opportunity to share the gospel. In the end, if I could give you some practical advice uh, one of the things that I would say is, is to keep it simple, right? They call it the KISS method. Just keep it simple, right? And as I was reading that book, I was telling you guys about uh, just a little bit ago, one of the things that it talked about was that, you know, ultimately we have a call to love God and to love people. And what does loving people look like today? Well, love a lot of times looks a lot like listening, right? Taking the time to listen to people, hear where they're at, hear their, their hurts, their pains, and their thoughts, Right? And if we do this well, right, it gives us a platform to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. Now, the thing that I want to recognize and come back to again is that the fact that this is going to be tough, right? Like if we're really living this out in the way that we should, if, if, we're, if we're investing in the lives of people around us like a nursing mother, it is going to be tough, right? There are days that we're going to feel exhausted and, and, and like, like we don't have the energy to continue to press on, Right? But when it's tough, one of the things that I love to do is, is to come back to some scriptures that encourage me, right? Like I talked about preaching the gospel to ourselves. Hebrews 12, two says this. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Here it is, ready? Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, 
so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. What we're talking about, the personal investment in the lives of the people around us is something uh, that's difficult, right? Like it takes a lot of, of energy and effort and, and time and, and, and things that, that, that can, can wear us down uh, mentally and physically. Now, it's important to find times of rest, but what I've found is, uh, you know, going back to, to, to this scripture, to these scriptures, and fixing my eyes on the author and perfecter of my faith Sure is a help in that, right? Because there's times we're going to be discouraged too. We'll be praying for neighbors, friends, family, coworkers over and over and over again. And sometimes not seeing any results can leave us frustrated, right? But we come back fixing our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith and thinking about what he did on the cross. 